Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Well, good morning. I'm Reverend Catherine Bonin, and it's my joy to be here to fill in for my dear friend, Reverend Larry King. And I'm going to start with a little story for you. There was this little guy, maybe four foot ten, who spent a lot of years in prison. In fact, so many years that no one knew how long he had been there. And no one knew how old he was. And he pretty much kept to himself. He stayed in his cell, very quiet most of the time. But when he did speak, he always had words of wisdom to share. And so people started looking at him as, a, and as a, an advisor, a counselor, and they'd come to him and ask him questions. And he would always ask them questions, causing them to think. Sometimes he was even able to predict what was going to happen in the future. Well, one day, this little guy escaped. And the headline of the newspaper the next morning read, Small Medium at Large. <laughs> So we're going to talk about mysticism and the modern-day mystic. And when you think about mysticism and that word in itself, it's a little mystical by itself, isn't it? We don't really know exactly what that is, and it's, it conjures up those images of, of people in monasteries and sitting in, living in seclusion, sitting up on top of the mountaintop. And at one time, that is how the mystics had to live. They had to live in seclusion because they were persecuted and people just weren't ready to hear some of the things they had to say. But a lot of that has changed. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how living a life of prayer and contemplation has changed over the centuries and how all of us are modern-day mystics. Mystics contemplate the nature of reality, and there are so many things in our world today that cause us to think about reality. Movies like What the Bleep and The Secret and Ten Questions for the Dalai Lama, even movies like Avatar and The Matrix get us thinking, don't they? Talk, talk show hosts like Ellen DeGeneres and Oprah are introducing ideas that were never mainstream 10, 20, 30 years ago. But people are thinking about them now, and they're causing us to think about the nature of reality. Even activities like prayer and meditation, yoga, even Sufi dancing are becoming more and more mainstream. And people are talking about those things every day. I understand you guys have the dances of universal peace here. And that spans all religions and all faith traditions. A lot of people are talking about those kinds of activities. And books. I know you all love to read because I know you do a lot of your Sundays around books and you have a lot of book clubs here. I too love to read. So I wanted to do some research on books. And what I discovered was 3,000 books are published every single day. Every day. Isn't that amazing? One million in a year. Over a million. And... An interesting factoid that I discovered was 15 years ago, 2002, 2003, about 5% of the books published were new thought, self-development, self-help in that genre. Just last year, in 2017, it was 16%. So people are seeking out that information and more and more people are wanting to share the information that they're discovering. And while the modern-day mystic still goes to the mountain, it doesn't look quite the same. 
The mountain today is more of a metaphor. It's about going to that sacred place within and finding that connection, sitting at that altar of the Most High that is within, not without. Michael Beckwith, one of the leaders of our movement who was in the movie The Secret and runs the Agape Church in Los Angeles, says that we're new thought and ancient wisdom, that all of our teaching is based on ancient wisdom. And he talks about Socrates, who was 300 years before Jesus, who taught the same things that we teach in our centers today. So the material and the principles that we teach, that we think are new thought, truly are ancient wisdom. And one of the things that he taught, that what is known in one place is known everywhere. What is known at one time is known in all time. Because spirit doesn't know place or time. There's only that one mind. And all of that's available to all of us, always and in all ways. And in all the mystical in all the religions and all the faith traditions, there are, there's talk of mystics and there are examples of mysticism and mystical experiences of God in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in the shaman, shamanistic faith, in the Abrahamic traditions like Catholicism and Judaism. Every religion and faith tradition has examples of mystical ex- people who have mystical experiences and every sacred text documents mystical experiences. The Quran the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, the Bible, all of them talk about people who have experiences of God. And that's what a mystical experience is, an experience where time and place just disappear and there's only love. And I know that many of you had had those experiences here. Often they start with an experience in nature where who you are seems to just melt into everything and there's only that one. And once you've had that experience, don't you want more? And something that's very interesting is we can't look for it. We can't make it happen. But what we can do is prepare the way. We can show up and sit in that place of silence and sacredness and allow it to come to us. In the Bible, in Paul's letters, he mentions the word mysterium 27 times. Mysterium means a mystical experience. He talks about the unsearchable mysteries of the Christ. Those experiences of God that we can't look for, that we can take one step towards God and God rushes to us. And we know this is true. And our one step is preparing the way. In Matthew, he talks about a message from Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. So when we prepare the way, spirit makes all things possible. In the fourth and fifth century, <clears throat> the Roman, when the Roman Empire was, was pushing Christianity and it was becoming very widespread, people who talked of mysticism and, ex- and experiences of God were outcasts. They were sent out into the desert. In fact, they were called the mothers and fathers of the desert. Those are the people that started the first monasteries. And they were hidden away. They couldn't talk about the things that they knew because if they did, they were persecuted or killed. And that actually started a long time before that. In fact, Socrates was killed with hemlock because he taught the things that he taught. But think about people like Joan of Arc, 
St. Peter, who was, and St. James. St. James was beheaded in Spain, and even Jesus. And in the Middle Ages, because people were persecuted, they would write in a sort of a code. The messages were hidden in poetry and in books. Mystics like Rumi in the 12th century, who wrote exquisite poetry, one could read his poetry and think he was writing to a partner, when in fact he was writing all about God, because that relationship with God was the most important relationship in his life, and so it should be with all of us. People like Dame Julian of Norwich, and even the Kabbalah is written with, with a sort of a code and a mystical message hidden within the words, and it's because they had to. More as we got into the 10th and 12th and 11th, 10th, 11th, and 12th century. <laughs> we had examples of people like St. Francis of Assisi, who is known for walking around Italy, spreading peace, and living a life of compassion and love. There's a famous story about him walking into a village called Gubbio. And when he got to the village, he couldn't find anyone. And so he knocked on a house and he said, where is everyone? And someone opened the door just ever so slightly and looked out and looked all around to make sure it was safe. And then they came to the front door and opened the door and stood there and he said, where is everyone? What's going on? And the person in the house said, well, we can't leave our homes because there's a wolf who is terrorizing our community. He's eating our chickens. He's attacked our children. He damages our homes and our crops and we're so afraid to go outside. And St. Francis said, where is this wolf? He went right over to where the people thought the wolf was, and sure enough, he found him. And he walked right up confidently to the wolf. He squatted down, and he said, now look, like he was talking to an insolent teenager. He said, you can't behave this way. The people here in this town are loving, and they're kind, and you can't attack them, and you can't put fear in their hearts. They want to love you. They want to take care of you. And if you change your ways, they will feed you. They will protect you, and they'll treat you like a pet. Do you understand? This behavior has to stop. And he stood there, and he looked in the eyes of the wolf and just loved that wolf because he knew that that wolf was acting out of fear. And he extended his hand. And after a minute or so, the wolf lifted its paw and put it into St. Francis's hand. And from that day on, that wolf never again terrorized the people of Gubbio. In fact, it lived there as the town, as the village pet. And if you go there today in the town square, you will find a statue of St. Francis and the wolf so that the people there can remember compassion and love. You see, he was living that example of being the presence of God and doing the work of the presence of God. So you see, there was a big shift Time was that mystics had to hide. And St. Francis was one that changed that slightly. He began to do the work. In fact, Matthew, again, Jesus tells us, by my work, you shall know me. And St. Francis demonstrated that to us. Another mystic that I love is St. Teresa of Avila, who's from Spain. And she traveled all around Spain establishing convents. And... She wrote, she was very, very, no, very well known, now she's very well known, by theolog theologians by, for her writing. And she wrote about the inner castle. And she talked about the inner castle being 
an example and a metaphor for the journey of the soul. That when we enter a castle, we have to go deep into the castle to discover the gifts and the jewels and the wonder and the riches that are there. So it really is about that journey of the soul. And theologians today use that. In fact, we also in Science of Mind use that idea. If you've taken the Practical Mysticism class, one of the books in that class is written by Carolyn Miss, and it's called Entering the Castle, and it's based on the work of St. Teresa of Avila. Very powerful work about finding the truth of who you are by going deep. I just love her. All of the mystics teach the same message. Think about, when I talk about uh, by your work you will know me, think about people like Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, John of the Cross. All of these modern day mystics have not only walked the walk, but they've talked the talk. They share what they know and they work and they share that gift that they have. Each of us has a special gift, and when we know what it is and we can share it with the world, we are giving that gift and shining the light that we are. One of my favorite metaphors is that we are each a lighthouse guiding others home. Because by our example, by our works, they know spirit. Think about people like Thich Nhat Hanh, Henry David Thoreau, Joel Goldsmith, Eric Butterworth, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, Deepak Chopra, Marianne, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay, Oprah. All of them walk the walk. They all teach the same thing. And I know that recently you guys worked with the book Living Between Two Worlds by Joel Goldsmith. And that's exactly what this means. The modern day mystic still has to pay the bills. They still have to walk on this earth. Each of us has to do that. A friend of mine recently pointed out that the 12th step in those anonymous programs tells us the same thing. It says, having had a spiritual awakening, we carry this message and practice these principles in all of our affairs. You know, when you have an aha moment, you want to share it with somebody. You want to tell somebody about it, right? It's almost like when you have a child, you want to open their head and pour all the knowledge that you have and all the wisdom you have into it. But we can't really do that. We have to be that shiny example and let them find their own way. We have to remember our truth and practice the presence. Practice the presence of God. Be that lighthouse. Eastern religion talks about reincarnation. And when I was looking at what I was going to talk about today, I thought this is really interesting about how our purpose and our light remains with us because life is eternal. And whether you believe in reincarnation or not doesn't matter. But what the Eastern religions teach is that the gift that we have stays with us from one lifetime to the next. And so you know how they pick the next Dalai Lama? When the Dalai Lama dies, the high lamas all gather in a room and they divide up some of the personal belongings of the Dalai Lama. And then they wait and they pray and they sit in contemplation knowing that he's going to return. And after a few years, they each take a couple of those items that belong to the Dalai Lama along with a couple of other items that they randomly select and they put them, put them in a small satchel. And then they begin to travel the land of Tibet. 
and they walk around talking to people, and they talk to a lot of children. And they lay those items out on the floor, and they watch. They watch for the child that picks up perhaps a strand of beads and says, Oh, you found my beads. I got every one of those as I traveled around India. Every town gave me a bead. So each one of these has a special memory. Or, there's the bell that my great-grandfather gave me. He taught me to ring it and feel the vibration and remember heaven. When they find the child that identifies some of those items that belong to the Dalai Lama, they know they have found the next Dalai Lama. Isn't that interesting? That reminded me, when I read it, of a story that I read in Reader's Digest about a little girl whose parents brought home a new baby boy. And the daughter talked to the baby all the time about all kinds of things. And one night, the mother and father were sitting in the living room, and they thought both children were asleep. And they heard on the baby monitor their daughter saying to the baby, Baby, please tell me about God. I seem to have forgotten. Children are so wise and they're so close to God. And isn't it interesting that the journey of our soul as we grow up, it's all about returning to that place where we know oneness, where we know truth, where we know God. There's a gentleman in the 1900s by the name of Frank Lawback who lived in the Philippines. He was known as the Apostle to the Illiterate. In 15 years, he taught 60,000 people how to read. 60,000 people. And he created a program called Each One Teach One. And it was about him teaching someone to read and them teaching someone else to read. And he traveled so much that in 1950, he was recognized by Time Magazine as Man of the Year. He's one of the most traveled person in the world at that time. But he was recognized for that teaching program, that literacy program that he put together. And when he was asked how it felt to receive that honor of being named Man of the Year, here's what he said. He said, The Lord doesn't count my trophies. It's only my scars that are important as he uses them to bring me ever closer to him. So you see, God uses everything. Everything. Nothing is against us. Everything is for us. And if we can see all of life as a spiritual practice, we can gain tremendous wisdom and tremendous knowledge we can get closer to God. As Frank Lawback talked about, God uses everything to bring us closer. Everything is for us. Nothing is against us. Mystical experiences often happen in nature, as I said. There's a famous story about Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, when he was dedicating the Whittier Church in February of 1959. He was invited to give a speech as that church was dedicated and opened. And he stood up on the platform and he was reading his talk. And all of a sudden he stopped and he took a step back and he was in awe. It was almost as if a light was just coming out of him, shining. Those people that were there talked about that. What an amazing experience it was to witness. For a full minute, he just stood there in silence, just in the middle of his talk. And then he said very quietly, ah, the veil is thin. 
standing right there in that church, he had an experience of God. You can actually listen to that talk. It gave me goosebumps, goosebumps when I heard it. You can go on the Science of Mind archives, and it's a little grainy, but you can hear it. And it's amazing to be a part of that experience. We can all have those experiences of God when we prepare the way. Because that's available to us all the time, always. And being of service is a big part of preparing the way, giving the gift that we have back to the world. There's a storyteller who's one of my favorite storytellers. His name is Brian Kavanaugh. And he talked about one in a meeting, he talked about one day that he t- when he told a story about something terrible that had happened to him. And I'm not going to tell you about the story. I'm going to tell you about what he said afterwards. He said after he told that story, suddenly it felt as he was hit by a ton of bricks. That this event that happened just brought him to his knees and it was like a ton of bricks just fell on him. He said as he contemplated it and thought about it, he thought about a ton of bricks. And he said you can build a fort or a wall or a tomb with a ton of bricks. But you can also build a bridge, a ramp, or a passageway. It's up to you. God uses everything, even those kinds of experiences that seem so horrible. How many people here have ever driven on the other side of the street? I bet some of you have, right? I recently spent three weeks in the UK with my daughter, and we rented a car. (laughs) And what an experience, I gotta tell you. I was white-knuckled pretty much the whole time. And the first day was extremely difficult. I bumped into a lot of curbs, and I turned a couple times the wrong way, and my daughter kept trying to remind me, and I recognized the value of having a partner, even though I didn't want to hear those things. There is value in having a partner to travel this journey, isn't there? And I realized at the end of that day, what a metaphor that experience was for me. Not only the value of having a partner, but all those times I hit the curb. And how highly conscious and highly aware and how in the now I had to be the whole time. And what a gift those white knuckles were. God uses everything to bring us home, to bring us closer. See, we're all students with a common intention. That relationship with God. When we prepare the way and we show up, God rushes towards us. And we have those experiences. And like any other relationship, we have to cultivate it. And that's what spiritual practice is. It's not spiritual perfect. You don't do yoga perfect, do you? You do yoga practice. It's spiritual practice. All of life is a spiritual practice. And through the intimacy that we develop in that spiritual practice, just like the intimacy we develop in personal relationships, we create that space for God. And it's not something that we can make happen. It's something that happens when we're ready. Every day, people like you and me are the modern-day mystics. The form might be different, but the content, the objective, is the same. It's about shining that light. And when we do that, the collective consciousness of the world will change. We won't see any more hunger. 
We won't see any, po- any more poverty. We won't see any more illness because the vibration of this planet will rise to a new level. Back to the, my visit to the UK. We did a lot of amazing things when we were there. We went to the Highlands in Scotland and we saw Stonehenge and we saw some incredible castles and just a lot of great, fun, beautiful experiences. But one of the funnest things we did is we went on the magical mystery tour in Liverpool. And I don't know about you guys, but music has always been a powerful way to bring me to God. That song, thank you so much for it. It was so beautiful. Didn't it make you feel God? Didn't it open your heart? So think about the Beatles songs as we're driving around on that painted bus, listening to their songs, going to Strawberry Field and Penny Lane and those schools where those guys went. Did you know they were together only four years? Four years and the amazing impact they had on the world in those four years. I was listening to those, the lyrics of some of those songs. Listen to this. All you need is love. Let it be. All your life, you were only waiting for this moment to appear. There's nowhere you can be that you weren't meant to be. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. You think those guys might have been modern-day mystics? See, the modern-day mystic is just like us, and that's because they are us. And I want to close by sharing with you a top ten list, kind of like David Letterman or Larry the Cable Guy. (laughs) And it goes like this. You're a modern-day mystic if, number ten, you find yourself talking with a five-year-old who tells you that he was a doctor in a previous life, so you show him the mole on your back. (laughs) Number nine, whenever you have an ailment, you pull out Louise's Hay, you can say, you can heal your life book. Number eight, you embrace the past, you plan for the future, but you know that peace and love and joy are only found in the present moment. Number seven, you see wisdom and guidance everywhere. Serendipity and coincidence are everyday occurrences. Number six, having had a mystical experience, you want more. So you spend time in prayer, in meditation, cultivating that relationship, preparing the way. Number five, when you have a decision to make, you spend time in nature, listening to plants, seeing beauty, feeling the sun on your face, consciously being present to listen to that inner voice. Number four, you blend contemplation with action. You give your gift. You are a servant leader. Number three, you have no enemies, only teachers and friends. Number two, you see all of life as a spiritual practice. Everything is for you. Nothing is against you and you do not see yourself as a victim. And number one, you make your relationship with God the most important relationship of your life, and you cultivate it every day. And so it is. So let's pray. (sighs) So as we enter the inner castle, that sacred chamber, where I know that God is always and in always, 
that one life that lives in so many incredible ways through every person, everywhere, in everything. I know that it lives and loves and expresses itself and expands in, as, and through me, that I am that light, like a sunbeam from the sun, unique and individual with my own special gift, yet connected to source at all times. And just as I know this for myself, I know this for each person here and each person who walks this planet, for I know each one is a modern-day mystic. Each one can prepare the way for spirit. Each one, when they know the truth of who they are and what they are here to give, gives that gift and has those experiences of God. And how grateful I am to be able to witness this not only in my life, but in the life of others, in the life of people around me. How great it is to be able to share those experiences in communities like this, where like-minded people come together to live and love and support each other on this incredible journey. So with a heart filled with gratitude, I say, God, bring it on. I want more. And I release my word. I call it good, for I know it is. And so it is. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.